0: So one of the labels that we walk into here tonight with, uh, beyond being a father, mother, sister, brother, whatever it is, is a citizen. And so tonight we start a new series called Citizen. And I don't know about you, but, you know, like I I watch the debates, you know, and I just... Most of the time I just think, whoa, <laughs> like what? what's going on here, right? And, you know, I see these secret videos that come out and, you know, on a locker room talk. I don't know. I see this stuff and, you know, I see these political commercials that, that seem to focus more on... The negative parts of the other candidate than the positive parts of the candidate whose commercial it is. I watch, uh, you know, CNN or, or look on online CNN, Fox, these other news sites, and you know, I I I feel the stuff that I think you guys. I had to laugh after we we, we watched the last debate. We must have been on a Fox station where we were watching it, and so Megyn Kelly came on afterwards. We had a chuckle. <laughs> she came on afterwards, right after the ended, and she said, Who won tonight? Certainly not America and I think, you know what that's that 's the sentiment whether you personally agree with that or not that 's the sentiment of a lot of people in our country right now. I did a a little on Facebook. When was that Thursday? An innocent. I asked an innocent little question. I said. I threw it up on the screen. I said, "I'm prepping for a conversation on politics this weekend. Curious. What are one or two words that come to mind when you personally think about politics right now?" And I got a lot of. I think that's the post. That's like my grand slam post. I got more comments on that post than I've ever got on anything. Like literally over 100 comments. And and here's some of the things that were said. I mean, just take this in. Lack of representation, cornered, helpless, lies, concern, corruption, moral bankruptcy, disrespect, uncivil, greed, nonsense, ugh. That was one of them. Ugh. <laughs> Goat rodeo. I don't even know what that means, but yeah. Conspiracy, frustration, polarizing, nightmare, Satan, God help, and many, many, many more. It's like just a little taste of it. You know, there's a minority candidate. I don't know if you knew this. There's a minority candidate that is, he hasn't got as much publicity right now. He hasn't been invited to the lectures. But uh, he, I, one thing I respect about him is his honesty and transparency on some of the issues. We ac- actually have a little 30-second clip. My uh, name is Vermin Supreme. I'm a friendly fascist. I'm a tyrant that you should trust. And you should let me run your life. Because I, too, know what is best for you. Yes, I'm a politician. I will promise you anything your little electorate heart desires because you are my constituents. You are the informed voting public and because I have no intention of keeping any promise that I make. Vote early, vote often. Remember, a vote for Vermin Supreme is a vote completely thrown away. <laughs> so there we go. Vermin, ex- Vermin Supreme, right? Yeah. What, what do we do with all this? Like, Think about, think about it. I'm sure you have. Personally, what do we do with all this? This is, this is the world that we live in, right? And I don't think we're supposed to crawl in a hole and put our hands over our ears and, and try to ignore it all. How, how do you and I, as thoughtful Christians, respond to everything going on right now in our country, especially with this campaign And I've I've heard people say things like, has God removed his hand of blessing from America? You know, is he abandoning us? I, I thought we were a Christian nation. I've heard things like, this is the worst it's ever been. Jesus must be coming back soon. This is the worst it's ever been. I've heard things like if we don't get the right candidate in office it's it's the end it's like the end of the world for sure. What should I do? I mean, should I should I protest? Should I boycott things? Like I need to take action, right? As a Christian, what should we do? What do you do? It, it, what like? Give a think about this. What would what would Jesus do? Like, think about this question. I, I know there's little bracelets to say WWJD, but but think about it in this situation. Like, what would Jesus do if he came back today? If he didn't the same way he came two thousand years ago to ancient Israel? What if he came today to our country? How do you think he would respond? What do you think he would do? How do you think he would act? How do you how do you think he would act? as a citizen of the United States. Well, you know, it's interesting. As you read the Bible, and uh, especially as you read the Gospels, and you see the life of Jesus, and what he did, and what he didn't do, and the environment that he came into, right? The political system that he came into. It's interesting how much uh, what he did speaks to us in our time today. And so I'm excited to, to actually dig into this together. This is, this is some important dialogue for us to talk about as followers of Jesus, as, as the church. And I want to say, if you sit here tonight and uh, you're not part of the church, you're not a follower of Jesus, this is, I think this is really valuable for you to just sit and listen as we all kind of struggle through this together. What does it look like for us as citizens of the kingdom of God, followers of Jesus, to also be citizens of the United States? That's what we're going to dig into tonight. So if you've got a Bible, I would love if you would flip it open to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, and we're going to be starting in verse 13. I want you to see this series as like one big conversation. Okay, so this is like one big conversation over two weeks, and so you're only gonna if you just come tonight, you're only gonna get half the conversation. I really want to encourage you to come both weeks to this uh, to this sermon series because then you'll get the whole conversation. Uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at this passage, this one little passage, really. I'll jump around to some other places too, but one little passage, and we're gonna dig into the first part of it this week and the second part of it next week probably a few things that I should say here from the beginning. I've had, I have had a couple of people say, hey, are you ready to get stuff thrown at you tonight? You know, like, politics, religion and politics, the two most combustible things that we could talk about. Uh, probably good for me to say a couple things. First off, I'm not an expert. I, I'm not a political analyst. I'm not a political expert. I watch the debates. I read articles. I watch video clips, and I try to be thoughtful, but I'm not a political scientist. I don't have a degree in political science. But that's also not my purpose this evening. That's not my purpose this evening second thing, let's leave our uh, political preferences at the door. Can we do that? Can we check our elephants and donkeys at the door with the ushers, right? And just kind of be who you are uh, as a follower of Jesus. And can we also say that Christians don't have to be Republicans? Christians don't have to be Democrats. Sometimes we can think if you're a Christian, you must be this, you must be that. Let's not do that. And of course, I'm not going to endorse a, a political candidate here tonight. And I'm also not going to tell you how to vote. You guys are smart people. You're adults. And you can make your own choice. So I have no intention of doing any of that. I also won't tell you who I'm voting for. So just like, don't even ask. Some people do. So who are you voting? Just don't even, just don't even ask. I'm not, I'm not even going to share that. I will say I plan to vote because I think it's important. I think it's an important responsibility and privilege that we have as citizens of the United States. Um, last thing, we, we need to be gracious and humble as we engage in this conversation. So again, this is like this is the most combustible stuff I think that we can talk about as Americans. Um, I, I I may say something that could that you disagree with tonight. I may say something that could potentially offend you tonight. I hope not. I don't, I don't think I'll say anything that offensive. Um, but this is not an exhaustive conversation, right? Like this is uh, a forty minute, thirty. 5 minute talk uh, over, over two weeks, and so there'll be some things that you go, yeah, but what about, yeah, just like, let's treat each other, let's love each other, let's treat each other with grace, let's treat each other with humility. Does that sound good? Can we, can we agree to do that? Do you agree? Nod your head if you agree. Okay. Gary, did you? Okay, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, um, can I also recommend a book to you guys tonight? This This is a short book that I really like. I read it leading up to this series. It's called God in Politics by a guy named Mark Dever. Uh, Mark Dever is the pastor of Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. I honestly don't know if he leans more Republican or Democrat. I'm not sure. That's not the purpose of his book, but it's a really good book. I'll say this. His book, I would say, greatly influenced what I'm going to share with you guys over this series. It's 55 pages long. It takes like an hour to read, uh, but it's very, very insightful. He gives you kind of a, a big picture view of God and politics. So there's there's not like a, a bunch of specific issues, Republican, Democrat issues that it gets into, but he gives you a big picture view. Really, really good stuff. So I'd encourage you to, to check that out. It's like five bucks on Amazon, something like that. Okay, so as you're flipping over to uh, our passage here in Mark chapter 12, I want to give you some context because we're kind of jumping in to uh, the the middle of some things that are happening. So it's this huge holiday week for the Jews. This is what we're jumping into. It's a huge holiday week for them. It's called Passover. It's kind of like Christmas for us. And so Jesus has been ministering. He's been teaching. He's been healing people all over the countryside of Galilee. And now he moves into Jerusalem. Jerusalem. is the most important city in Israel. It's where the temple was. It's where the religious leaders were, right? And so the place is packed. When you have Passover celebration in ancient Israel, what happens is, everybody who lives, all the Jews who live around the area, they all come they all make the pilgrimage into the city. And so the city is absolutely packed with people. And so it's Sunday, okay? Sunday of, of Holy Week, of Passover week. And Jesus stirs things up just by entering into the city. So his, his reputation, this is toward the end of his ministry, his reputation has preceded him, right? And he makes, they make a big deal about him when he enters into the city. It's called the triumphal entry. That's what the little heading says in your Bible. So the triumphal entry. I mean, they're singing songs about him. They're throwing palm branches in front of him, right? Like, it's a big deal coming in. They treat him like he's the king. They treat him like he's the king of the city. And the actual leaders the, the ones that were in positions of authority, positional leaders, they weren't happy by this, not ha- to say the least. They were threatened by Jesus, and so what happens is Jesus comes in the city, stops at the temple, and he just kind of looks around at the temple, and he sees what's going on there. There's all kinds of. It's not just like a place of worship. There's money changers, there's vendors, there's all this stuff going on. He goes in there on Sunday and he sees it, and then it's kind of late in the day, and the, bu- the the city is so busy, it's so crowded that he and his disciples can't stay in the city. That's what happened for most people. The city's not equipped for all of these pilgrims to come in for the celebration. So he leaves, he goes out to basically a suburb and spends the night with his disciples. The next day, Monday, Jesus and his disciples they go back into Jerusalem. They make the trip, they go back into Jerusalem and they go back to the temple. And this time, Jesus creates this huge scene at the temple. You guys probably heard it, flipping over tables. Like I said, it's a picture of Jesus we don't normally think of, right? And so he's angry at them and he he says, this place should be a place of prayer and worship and you're turning it into, is what he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers, right? So it's really hard on him. In doing so, what he does implicitly is he's condemning the religious leaders. So now the religious leaders are not happy with Jesus, to say the least. They're ticked at him. So then we get to Tuesday. He goes back out of the city, right? Sleeps where he sleeps. Come back into the city on Tuesday. And Tuesday, he goes back into Jerusalem, and he has some words with the religious leaders. They uh, just didn't like Jesus, basically. They were threatened by him, they were trying to trip him up. They were trying to discredit him in the eyes of other people. So Jesus has a couple run-ins with the religious leaders. And then he tells this parable. You get to the beginning of Mark chapter 12. He twel- tells this parable that clearly il- illustrates how the religious leaders were failing. Like they, like clearly they knew that Jesus is condemning them with this parable. And they're in sin. And so now they're really, really ticked. And so Still Tuesday is where we're going to pick up. It's still Tuesday. The leaders of the people, again, are trying to trip up Jesus and completely discredit him in the eyes of other people. And so they come up with this ingenious plot. It's sinister, but it's ingenious. They put Jesus in this airtight situation, circumstance, where he has no win. However he answers, they ask him a question, and however he answers this question, it's a no-win situation. Let's look at it. Here's the set. Mark chapter 12, we'll start in verse 13. Later they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and they said, Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Tell me, is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Well, Jesus knew their hypocrisy. He said, why are you trying to trap me? He asked, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought him the coin and he asked them, whose image is on this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, he said, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's and to God what's God's. And they were amazed at him. Okay. So you got these two groups of people, right? And they approach Jesus. You've the Pharisees and the Herodians. Do you know who the Pharisees and the Herodians were? The Pharisees are all over in the New Testament. We read about them lots of different times. The Herodians are actually only mentioned a few times in the entire New Testament. The Pharisees were this sect of Jews. They were this group of Jews that were the strictest observers to the Mosaic Law. And the, the term Pharisee actually meant to separate. To be made separate, okay? And so they viewed themselves as like the separate ones the super religious I, I think of them as super jews like when i think of the pharisees they, in my mind i think of the super jews okay at least that's how they saw themselves but they hated rome right they were super jewish did not like that rome was the power that was controlling them at the time that's the pharisees the herodians were this jewish they were also jewish they were the jewish political party that sympathized with rome they simp the, the king back then for uh, the, the ruler of uh, that part of Israel uh, that the Romans put on was a guy named Herod, okay? And so they were sympathizers with Herod. That's why they're called Herodians. And they believed that they had a duty, the duty to submit to Rome, the, the duty to submit to Roman rule. And so they supported the throne. Their agenda was less motivated by religious fervor than a concern to maintain social and, and political status quo. And so they used religion as a political political. Political tool, okay? And I think of the Herodians, I think of traitors. I said the Jews would have seen them. They're traitors, they're collaborators with Rome, right? So these two groups, this is like an odd couple group coming together because they didn't like each other. They didn't respect each other. They didn't do anything together. In fact, these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, for all intents and purposes, were enemies with each other. But now, they had a common enemy, right? They're enemies with each other, but they have a common... It's a classic case of the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? That's what's going on here. And so they get together and they ask Jesus. They come up with this, like, impossible question for Jesus. This sinister plot. They start by giving him some, some hollow compliments. Oh, oh teacher, <laughs> we know you're a man of integrity. You're not swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. But Jesus sees right through them, right? He sees right through them. Is it right, dear master, to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we pay it? Now this is interesting. This imperial tax was a tax on Jewish men, not, not Romans, but Jewish men that they were responsible to pay to the Roman government. It was, it was a denarius. That's how much it was. A denarius was a, a form of currency back then, and it was worth about a day's wages. That's what this tax was. Every Jewish man, not Roman, but every Jewish man was required to pay this imperial tax, one denarius. It's about a day's wages. So think, Make it personal. Think about how much you make in a year, whatever that is, divided by 365, that's how much each of them owed the Roman government each year. And the word in the original that we get this this word imperial tax from, the word in the original Greek is what we get the word census from, because they used it as a census as well. They used it to keep track of all the Jewish men. And so they had to pay it. They hated it, right? They hated it. You know why they hated it? Because this detestable tax actually paid for the Roman troops that kept Jerusalem under Rome's thumb. So it it was like they paid for their own oppression. That's what this tax was. We're going to give you money to rule over us and oppress us, and we don't like you. They hated this tax, right? So think about their question. Jesus, Rome makes us pay this tax to support their government and allows this evil empire to continue to rule over us and oppress us. Is it right to pay it, Jesus? It's essentially what they're asking him. Now, think about how Jesus can answer that. If the answer is no, what happens? If the answer is no, the Herodians run back to Rome and they 're like this guy jesus he 's starting a rebellion he 's saying that we sh- they, they shouldn 't pay their taxes to the Roman government they 're not supposed to do what they 're supposed to do they 're not going to do what they 're supposed to do right if he says no that 's what happens, and they get jesus they get Jesus in trouble with Rome right if they say if Jesus says yes." what happens? Well, the Pharisees run back to who? To the Jews. And they're like, this Jesus, he's a traitor. He's a collaborator with the Roman government. He's no friend of you Jews. Don't follow him. Don't have anything to do with him, right? He's in a no-win situation. Damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? So what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? He immediately sees what they're doing. He says, bring me a coin. Bring me a coin. They, they bring him a denarius. He holds it up. He says, who's pictures on this? Who, who's inscriptions on this? I says Caesar. He says, well, how about you give to Caesar, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, and give to God what's God's. And says, they're amazed. Guys, Listen. This loaded little statement, it's, it is absolutely filled with meaning and implications, not just for Jews 2,000 years ago, but for us today as well. And so I want to just, I just want to talk about what Jesus means here, because the two points that he makes in this statement, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's, give to God what's God's, the two points that he makes in the statement, in my opinion, is exactly what you and I need to process and Think through and apply to our lives as we sit here right now in the stage of history that we do. With with everything going on in the political system and our government around us. This is exactly what you and I need to hear. So tonight, all I want to do is I want to focus on the first part of what he says. Give, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's all I want to do tonight. Next week we'll focus on the second part. Okay, so Jesus says: give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. What does that mean? Well, I like how Dever says it. I like how this guy says it. He says, in a nutshell, what that means is Christians should be good citizens. That's our first point. Christians should be good citizens. If you you apply it to our context, we may say something like, give back to the government what the government is due, or give back to our political leaders what our political leaders are due, even when we're dissatisfied with part of it give back to Caesar what Caesar's do, even when we're dissatisfied with some of the things that he does. So it begs a question for us, in our context, what's our government do? Like, what D-U-E, what, what, what do we owe to our government? Well, I think we need to start off with another question. What's the role of our government? You ever think about this? I, I was reading about this this week. It's been a while since I've studied political science. Uh, I talked to a uh, government teacher as well. I asked him this question, like, what's the role of the government? What, what should the government do? And it's interesting. We We never admit some of these things out loud, but think about the the answer to that question in your own mind. Somebody were to ask, if I were to ask you one on one, what like what's the role of the government? We may not say these things out loud, but implicitly, many of us think maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not all of us in this room, but I've heard this so many times. What's the role of the government? Well, the role of the government is to give me a job. That's what I expect from the government. They're responsible for all the jobs, right? It's the government's fault if I don't get a job. What's the role of the government? Make me comfortable. I should have a comfortable life. If I don't, it's the government's fault. What's the role of the government? Make me rich. I should have a job that also pays me well, right? If I don't, that's the government's fault. What's the role of the government? Make me healthy. I should have a health system that works perfectly for my needs, right? What's the role of the government? Provide for all my needs. What's the role of the government? Make me happy, right? We, we don't want to say any of that stuff out loud. But think about the conversations that are going on all over the place, especially on social media. Many of those are expectations people have of our government. What do you think a political science teacher or a textbook would say the role of the government is? What's the role of the government? Well, I, I, this, is, this is what I found. There's consensus. Here's the role of the government. Establish civil order. Establish peace or keep peace and protect its people. That's, that's really the role of the government. Now, there's a lot of nuance to that, right? There's a, there's a lot of nuance. I certainly don't think that our government is perfect, but in my opinion, many times we act like it is far worse than it really is. Be, on, be honest with yourself. Ask yourself the question does, does our government provide a significant amount of order for us living in the United States? Compare, compare it to other nations. Compare it to other times in history. Does our government uh, provide significant peace for us? I live a pretty peaceful life. Like, I, I don't feel threatened all that often. Does the government provide protection, sufficient protection for us? I, think so I feel that right does it do it perfectly no no of course not human people right does it do it substantially yeah I think it does just just for context for us think about how much worse it was in the Roman Empire that Jesus lived in then. We just said that the Jews who were invaded and forcefully made to submit to the Romans, they were supposed to be good subjects, not not citizens, most of them, subjects to Rome, and they were supposed to pay the Romans uh, what the Romans told them to pay. What was Rome like? Well, First of all, they thought their king was God, right? I mean, the Caesars, that inscription on the coin, and actually uh, the the, uh, inscription actually talks about the divinity of the Caesar, actually thought that their, their leaders, their kings were divine. Their government had complete uncompromised authority. There was religious persecution a lot, right? All of the apostles, except for John, were killed, most of them by Romans, There was extreme sexual violence and perversion. There was vast socioeconomic inequality and oppression. But they also had excellent infrastructure. This is true. Like Roman infrastructure back then was revolutionary. They had a good amount of order. And they also provided a relative amount of peace. And so Jesus told them 2,000 years ago, I think he tells us today too, to be good citizens. Give, give back to Caesar what's Caesar's. I think, guys, that's what he tells us, right? Be a good citizen. Now, by following what our government requires of us and being a good citizen, does that mean that we agree with everything that our government does? Oh, heavens no. Heck no. I don't even agree with everything I do, right? I bet you don't either. But I support myself. I, in fact, I love myself. You should love yourself too. By supporting our government and being a good citizen, does that mean that we accept everything that they do is right and good? No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that. Here's what it all comes down to. Ready? The government that you and I live under and enjoy and sometimes struggle with was established by God. It was established by God. Government is established by God. you believe that? Do you? that's good. Like, Obama didn't just, like, slip into the presidency when God wasn't looking, right? Hillary or, or Donald aren't going to slip into the presidency because God's distracted. God establishes our leaders. This is what it says in Romans 13. I'll prove it to you. I'll prove it to you. Ready? This is what it says in Romans 13. Verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities... For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authorities, rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Listen, guys. Listen. The sky's not falling. Because sometimes we can think that, right? Like, ah, oh, look at what's going on. I watch these debates. It seems like so mean and hateful. And our country is so divided. Look at all the political, the, the, the racial unrest. Look at everything going on. The sky's not falling. Our, our world is not out of control. God, God is still in control. It's fallen, yeah, But God is still in control, and he's actually providing for us through our order and peace and the protection that our imperfect government, led by imperfect people, offered us. God God put them there. And he's actually providing for our needs through imperfect government and through imperfect people. And our job is to be good citizens. Our job is to be good citizens of that government. It's been the responsibility for Christians throughout the ages since the very beginning. By the way, I don't think that means that we can't disagree with what our government says and does, right? We can, we can work within the framework that our government has set up to bring about positive change when there's things that we fundamentally disagree with. Our government allows for that. I don't think it means we just passively do whatever is told us. Right? That's not what that means. But we're called to be good citizens. Think about what that means for you. How? How are we called to be good citizens? Well let's let's end our time. I got seven-ish, ten-ish minutes left, ish. For the pastor, it's always ish with how much time you're there, right? I got ten-ish minutes left. Let's let's end our time talking about what this looks like. What does it look like for you and me to be good citizens? Can I give you three tough things to consider? as we wrestle through this, given the environment, the, politi- the political environment that we are living in right now, these campaigns that are going on right now, can I give you three tough things to maybe immediately apply? I think we can immediately apply all of these to our lives as we walk out of here today. Okay? Okay? I need to be quick. Here's the first thing. First thing I want to challenge you to consider is found in First Peter. So I'm going to back all these, I'm going to pull this stuff right from the Bible. It's found in 1 Peter chapter 2 and Romans chapter 13. Peter and Paul were both writing in times when Christians were being persecuted by the government. This is the government, this Roman government that they wrote with them. They're being persecuted, literally killed for their faith in Jesus. And this is what they write to the people that were being persecuted. First one is 1 Peter 2 13. It says, Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Jump ahead to verse 17. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. How about this? This is Romans 13. we were in the first part of it. This is verse 6. Paul continues to write, he says, "...for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor." What's that saying? I think he's saying, they're saying, "...show proper respect." Right? Christians should lead the way in showing respect to our leaders. Christians should lead the way in showing respect to our leaders. Guys, in, in maybe almost every political campaign, there's all kinds of disrespect. Right? This one may be the most disrespectful, I'm not sure. But it shouldn't be us who are the ones being disrespectful. We should show respect even when the behavior of the leaders that are in charge isn't respectful. We should still show respect. I, I fear for us, and I don't mean just us in this room or as a church, I mean Christians in general, that we act so disrespectful to what's happening in our government and in this campaign specifically that we're destroying our reputation. With people, because we're acting just like everybody else, and I fear that we're dragging Jesus's name through the mud because we're appalled at what somebody who doesn't really profess to be a Christian is doing or saying. Right? As we need to show respect. Like, as followers of Jesus, that we're different, right? We're called to be different. It doesn't mean that we're not sometimes outraged. There's things that I've heard that, like, they outrage me, right? It doesn't mean that we're not sometimes frustrated or disgusted or that we stand in fundamental disagreement with. I stand in fundamental disagreement with some things that both of our candidates believe, right? We can feel all of those things, but we still got to do it with respect. We have to feel it and respond with respect. Remember, God established the government, right? God put our leaders in the positions of authority that they're in. And God ultimately put them there and they deserve our respect even when they don't respect or act that very respect-worthy. We're called to be different as followers of Jesus. And when we do, it stands out, right? I mean, it, it speaks to people, when we stand in dis- fundamental disagreement, but we do it with respect and civility. That's, that's my first thing. I told you these aren't, all, these aren't all easy, right? Second thing I want to challenge you to consider it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Jeremiah chapter 29. So, Paul again is writing uh, in the first one, Paul's writing to people that are living under Roman government, Roman rule. Jeremiah in the second one, <laughs> Is writing to a much, uh, a group of people in a much bleaker situation. People who have literally been captured and exiled, snatched from their land, and taken to a foreign land to live as essentially uh, outsiders, right, into Babylon. This is, that's who he's writing to. And this is what they say. Paul writes first. So, First Timothy is writing to a young pastor, Timothy, and he says, I urge then, first of all, that all petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanks." giving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Jeremiah, we're jumping right into the middle of like a verse of Jeremiah. I'm going to actually refer to the, the broader context here in a second. But this is what Jeremiah says in part of tw- uh, 29, verse 7. Pray to the Lord for it. It is Babylon, it's where they were exiled. He says, Pray to God for Babylon. What's he saying? I think, guys, they're saying that Christians should lead the way in praying for our leaders. Christians should lead the way. And praying for our leaders. Just like everyone else, man, we can be quick to criticize, we can be quick to ridicule, we can be quick to make fun of, we could be quick to, to be disgusted with, we could be quick to disrespect our country's leaders. But guys, how often do we stop and pray for them? How, like, how often do you think about that? I, I'll be honest, this is one of those things for me. I'm a pastor, and it's not my first thought to pray for our leaders when I see things going on that I'm not happy with, that I'm not thrilled with. In some of of Paul's letters to his churches, he said things like, I say this to convict you. This is something that I say to convict myself. We got to get better at praying for our leaders. Are are we dissatisfied with our leaders and the job that they're doing? Well, leadership is a tough job. If you're a leader, you know. Leadership is a very, very difficult job, especially leading our country. There is so much nuance. There are so many dynamics that go into it. It's tough. And they need our prayers, especially even when they're making decisions that we really disagree with. Or they have stances that we disagree with. Maybe especially when they're making decisions that we disagree with. We've got to be people that pray for our leaders. That's the second thing. We're going to get a chance to do that together. That's how I want to end our time, is, is spending it praying for our leaders. Third thing, so we've got to lead the way in respect. I think we've got to lead the way in prayer. Last thing I want you to consider, it's back in that Jeremiah 29 passage, so the broader context here from the little snippet that I just pulled out. Here's what God says through Jeremiah to the Jews living as exiles, as prisoners, as aliens in this foreign land of Babylon with very little freedom. This is what, this is what God tells them to do. Uh, Verse 4, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here it says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your husbands and give your daughters in marriage so that they, may, they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not de- decrease. Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Guys, what's he saying? I I know it's written to Jews thousands of years years ago, but this principle is still very relevant in our lives here today. Christians should work for the good of their city or their country. Christians should work for the good of other city and country. Sometimes as Christians, we could be tempted to try to do everything ourselves, like separate ourselves and create this little Christian world. You know, we have things like Christian schools and Christian bookstores and Christian book clubs and Christian sports leagues and Christian service organizations and, and Christian events and Christian everything. We got Christian everything, right? We can create our own world and work for the good of it, And guys, I'm not saying that all of those things are wrong. Some of those things are really good. Some of those things are really wonderful. But if we're not careful, we can separate ourselves. And we can isolate ourselves. And we can insulate ourselves from the world and not really work for the good of the world so that they experience, to help them, and so that they experience Jesus. If we're not careful, we don't do this. I'm not working for the good of my city, of the world. You know, I I met a couple, this is probably two years ago now, before we launched, I sat down. I'm so uh, grateful that he took a meeting with me. I sat down uh, with the mayor of Barberton, Mayor Judge. I always want to say, like calling him Mayor Judge feels weird because judge is another, I want to say Judge Judge or something, Mayor Judge. I sat down with him and I asked him the question. I said, what could we do to like make an impact, to help? And he was kind of, He's kind of put off, like he kind of took a step back with that. Like maybe he doesn't get that question very often, but it was so interesting how he answered. He said come alongside of the stuff that we're trying to do to make the city a better place. Like that was that's that's how in his mind he thought was the best way that you and I and Grace Church Barberton campus can make an impact in Barberton. Just come alongside of what we're doing. Help us, help us make Barbara in a better place. Guys, that's what we gotta do. We're we're called to be salt, right? Salt is only effective, it's only worth something when it's rubbed into the meat that it's uh, supposed to preserve, right? Back then, the primary, it's for tastiness, of course, but primarily they use salt because it worked against decay, right? Salt is not effective. It's, it's worthless when it's sitting in a little salt shaker in the cabinet. It's got to be rubbed into the meat, into what's decaying to reverse the effect, right? That's what we're called. We're called salt, we're called light, Light's called to illumine the darkness. Light's not made to be sealed up, boxed up in a safe little shut-up box. What's it worth then? You and I are called to do something for the good, to work for the good of the city, of the country that you and I exist in. If we're not careful, we can forget that. What does it look like for you to do that? Think about your own life. What does it look, look, look like for you to work for the good of your culture, of your community, of your city, of your country. These are things, this is what God means when He says, give to Caesar what Caesar's due. Give 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 to him what he's due. Be a good citizen. Treat treat Caesar's due respect. Our government, our leaders are due respect. We should lead the way with offering respect. They deserve prayer. We need to give them prayer. We need to lift them up to the Lord instead of always complaining. Social media just amplifies everything. It's one thing to think something in our minds. It totally takes it to a different level when we go, well, i don't type this up and hit, hit post, right? We, we can all be guilty of that, right? We're called to pray for our leaders and we're called to work for the good of the city, I want to end our time by just praying. I want to pray for our leaders, and I want to ask you to, to ask God what it looks like in your own life to give back to Caesar what's Caesar's. What does it look like for you to show respect? What does it look like for you to pray? What does it look like for you to work for the good of the city of our country? Okay, so let's pray together. Let's do that.